Aloha mai kako, everyone. Tonight's episode is Kanaka Diaspora Perspectives, and I'm really excited to have this conversation and welcome some new voices onto our platform, uniting Kanaka Maoli all throughout the diaspora who are living outside of Hawaii for various reasons that we will get into on the show. But before we get started, I wanted to acknowledge our sponsors and mahalo Papa Olunokahi for investing into our platform and helping us to connect and unite our Kanaka and our Lahue wherever we are. Aloha. I'm Kim Kuule Bernie with Papa Olunokahi. Together with the Native Hawaiian Health Scholarship Program and five Native Hawaiian healthcare systems that serve seven islands. Our sole objective is to raise the health status of Native Hawaiians and our families. For more information, you can find it on our website at papaolalokahi.org. Eola mau. Mahalo to papaolalokahi. So I'm so grateful for them to help us continue this important work for our community. So as I mentioned at the start, our topic is Kanaka Diaspora Perspectives. And this is a topic that I think is becoming increasingly more important to our community internally for ourselves, but also to help those in our communities around us understand our experiences and help to understand our community more, especially for people who Hawaii is not accessible to them because not everybody can afford to go or experience to learn about our culture. And recently, statistics have shown that more than 50% of Kanaka Maoli or Native Hawaiian were priced out of paradise. That's kind of a, a, a theme that we are hearing more and more. And they are now living outside of Hawaii. And this provides momentous challenges for our Aina-based community that's forced to separate from our homeland. So in this episode, we'll discuss the benefits and challenges of living in a diaspora and how we can better understand and serve the needs of our Lahui, no matter where we are. And when I say Lahui, that mean, we, we, we mean like our nation, our collective people as Kanaka Mo'oli and Native Hawaiian. So let me introduce our guests. We have three great guests tonight. First, we have Kalani Mandoi. He's originally from the island of Molokai and moved to L.A., California in 1989. At that time, he started his um, genealogy journey, initiated by the fact that he was not raised by his Kanaka Maoli mom. And he yearned, like many of us, to learn so much as he could about his ancestors. Being away from the island also fueled his drive to research more about who his ancestors were, and what they did. Unanswered questions led him to ge genetic genealogy, where DNA is utilized to confirm and rule out connections to specific branches of a family. And this was the case when his mother volunteered to get DNA tested. After receiving her results, months would pass before she revealed that she was adopted. Kalani's 24 year, years of genealogy research were then overturned and he had to start from the beginning once he found out who his mother's biological parents were. Nearly a year after that revelation, Kalani succeeded in finding his mother's biological family and new discoveries are constantly being found as other members who are given up. And I can so relate to this because it, it's so important to, <laughs> to really understand where we come from. So 
Mahalo, Kalani. Welcome. Ekumo mai. Aloha. Hi. Second guest is Leah Dang Yi, and she is an Oahu native, now living in Korea with her husband and family. But update, she's actually now in Washington. So, okay. Uh, she has a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in speech from the University of Hawaii at Manoa and a master's degree in secondary education with a focus in English language and literature from Hawaii Pacific University. Leodan coached speech and debate at public and private schools on Oahu and taught speech at Kamehameha Schools and Hawaii Pacific University. She left Hawaii in 2020 after her husband was assigned to Korea because they wanted to, their family to remain together, which led her to leave her 16-year career as a teacher. And I can only imagine what a sacrifice that was. While their goal was to return to Hawaii in three years, the cost of living has made that a difficult decision, like so many of us. And so here she is to share a little bit more about her story and her Ohana's journey. So welcome, Leah Dan. Hello. Hello. And then last but certainly not least, um, Tita Ipo is a first-generation Kanaka born on Oahu, raised in San Diego, California, and currently living in Seattle. She is the founder of AO, an, an emerging organization with a focus on diaspora Kanaka, particularly those who are raised on the continent. Ipo recently was awarded a grant by Purple Maya to launch a research project that seeks to learn more information about diaspora Kanaka raised on the continent so we can better understand their challenges, fears, strengths, and passions when it comes to the Lahui. I love it. The project website is still in progress, but check out the Hawaiian Diaspora Project Instagram at Hawaiian Diaspora. She's also a corporate communication specialist during the day at Alaska Airlines, and she co-chairs her company's Pacific Islander Alliance Business Resource Group, uh, where they serve as a resource to the company on Pacific Islander matters and celebrate our cultures with employees. And as always, educate um, allies and advocates on our cultures. She also supports Lady Bandit Studios, an organization that hosts the Circular Design Internship, which is a six to eight week mentorship program for emerging UX UI designers working for real companies to gain real-life experience as they get their foot in the door in the tech industry. Um, she, this particular internship has a focus on Kanata and other Pacific Islander designers to champion better representation in the tech and Hawaii space and to give those living in Hawaii a better opportunity to stay in Hawaii. That's awesome. Love it. Welcome, Ipo, to the show. Aloha, Kako. Aloha, aloha. So I thought we would just start our conversation a little bit. I read your introductions, which to me are very impressive. I, I just love learning about every guest that comes on the show. But I wanted to give you guys just a chance at the beginning to talk about your pico, like your connection to Hawaii, where your ohana is from, and then maybe a little bit about your experiences living on the diaspora, wherever, where, where you are now. And just, we'll, we'll start there and just go from there. Let's start with Leodette. Aloha. Let's see. Okay, my people and where I've been. Um, whenever 
I was asked in like beginning because I'm really not good and still learning as I think a lot of us are where I'm from I always would say so all over my my father was a federal firefighter in the U.S. Air Force so I lived in England for a little while and Nevada for a little while and so like it was difficult enough that I think my my parents' generation couldn't really learn the language. They weren't really allowed to learn the language. But being in diaspora just as a, a military brat really gave me no, no inclination and very little knowledge about who my, what my culture was. And so it wasn't until my 30s when I was hired as a kumu at Kamehameha where I reconnected. And so that wasn't even that long ago. If you met me before my 30s, I would have been like, I'm American and had no idea. And so now I'm just like going as, as quickly as I can, like running into the water. So it, it's really hard to kind of say where my people is definitely Oahu. My, fa my father's family is from the Kapuhulu side. My mother's family is Eva side and I live mostly Aia, but my daughter and her people is in Kaneohe. So everywhere. <laughs> Did I catch all of the questions? No, sorry. Sometimes I ramble. No, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I love hearing that you have that military experience, like, and living in these different spaces and the challenges, right? Like uh, of that. And I think we're going to have many viewers and if viewers, if you're here and you, you can right. read through these experiences, please engage with us in the comments. Feel free to add to the conversation because we want this to be a, an open discussion because I know there's probably plenty of you who are watching and be like, oh yeah, I didn't know either. And sometimes even just acknowledging that is hard. Like I know for me, I was just like, man, I thought I was the only one who didn't have enough. What is the word that they use? Pilina or the connection to the, to the culture. Hello, Hapani. Yes. She's like, the military often causes the disconnect. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Too. When at home and abroad. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Ipo, let's go to you because you're also from Oahu. How about your Ohana? What was that like? Yeah, so I was born on Oahu, but my, my mom, who is the Kanaka one, she is from Kauai. Born and raised in Kauai. <laughs> yes. And, but our family actually goes back to Mokokiave, uh, to Hawaii Island. Um, although I feel like my people is connected to Kauai. Uh, since that's where my mom is from, and I was very lucky to be able to visit Kauai pretty often. There are four siblings between me and my siblings, and um, all of us were raised on the continent in San Diego. But my mom, which I now realize as an adult, because I didn't realize as a kid, <laughs> was sacrificing so much to be able to make sure that we would go to Hawaii every summer, that we were in Kauai visiting my grandma. And I'm pretty sure the day she moved us to San Diego from Hawaii, she signed us up for a halal. Like that was the first thing on her mind. So I'm really, really, really thankful for that because that was my one connection or my, a couple of them. Actually, I had those connections and didn't realize in hindsight how much she sacrificed to make sure we could have that. So I'm in Seattle now, though, because I've been moving around a lot for work. And it's been a really awesome experience because it also comes as part of the journey in the continental diaspora experiences, San Diego, Southern California has a lot of Pacific Islander communities and I was raised in one, but then I started moving around. I'm in Texas, I'm in Bay Area, 
now I'm in Seattle. So it's been really interesting to be on this journey of geographically where I am and connecting to. And I love what Leah Dan said about running to the waters. Girl on sprint. <laughs> it's been a huge, huge journey. So I'm, I'm really thankful to be here so we can talk about it. Mahalo, I love that. Yeah, San Diego is a, a great place for, to be Pacific Islander, for sure. And I, I definitely want to talk about that as we get into the discussion tonight, for sure. Okay, Kalani, let's go. Represent for neighbor islands. Let's go. All right, so obviously from Molokai. And I know some people like to say, especially when they introduce themselves in Hawaii, they're Aina Hanau. But my Aina Hanau is actually Honolulu. But... My Aina where I was conceived was actually Molokai. So I was only born in Honolulu for medical reasons, at least that's what my mom told me. But I was raised on Molokai, so, and I lived there only the first 18 years of my life before I left. Um, and then I lived on Oahu for four years, and then I came here to Los Angeles. But throughout that time, that's when I got interested in uh, genealogy. And so I was researching my mother's parents' side because I wasn't raised by my mother and her being Kanaka Maoli, I was very interested, you know, getting to know her and her, her family. So what I found out was that her, her mother had ties to Maui and the Big Island. Her mom was actually raised on the Big Island in Kona. And then of course, later on, this is 2014 is when she, the whole DNA thing came into play. And then she's like, oh, I like your DNA. This was like, cool. Let's do it. And then later on, and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out all these things about why the DNA is saying this. And that. I said, look, I think your dad was not your dad. She goes, oh, I already know I was adopted. I was like, what? She goes, I already know I was adopted. I was like, oh, no. So that means my, my grandma, the Hawaiian grandma, is not biological. That's so why I had to start all over again. And then I found her family. But what I found out was that her father has ties to Puna and Ka'u, and her mother has ties to Kolau Loa on Oahu, as well as Molokai. So I do have ancestors from where I'm from. But that was the cool part about finding out these things when I researched it to my mom's biological side. And that's my whole journey. I know when people ask, like, where are you from? I usually like to say how my family ended up on Molokai, which is always my Filipino side. And my grandparents, they had kids on Oahu. Then they moved to Maui. They had two kids, including my father in Lahaina. And then they moved to Molokai. Once the um, pineapple plantations opened up on Molokai, a lot of the plantation people in Lahaina went to Molokai. So what I didn't know till later, way after the fact, was that a lot of these families knew each other from not Molokai, but Maui. Not just Lahaina as well. But I think like maybe Wailuku and Kahagua, wherever they had, I think sugarcane. And I think my grandparents were only, yeah, they were in Lahaina because of sugar, not pineapple. But that's, that's what it's like when you come from a small island, right? Everybody. So it's funny because you have to diverge from this whole thing. But I know you mentioned about when people ask about Lahaina, if you have relatives, that happened to me yesterday at work. And then someone just asked, like, do you have any relatives? And I was trying to explain and said, yes. A couple of them lost their homes. And I was talking about all the other people who I know, like my classmate from there. And then there are other people I just didn't realize they were living in Lahaina. And then not to mention all my relatives 
just living in, outside of Lahaina on Maui. But like, yeah, they, they just don't understand that concept that we're all, we have relatives all over in all the islands. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for people who are not as close to Hawaiian culture or understand it is that we are very interconnected and especially with the scale of what's going on, like we all feel like this is not just the island where you're on. This is like a significant loss to our community. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Leah Dan, how, how are you... Like, how is your ohana feeling about it? Like, what has been your experiences on the continent being so far away from home? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, in general, are we still talking about Maui or? Oh, okay. For So the response to Maui, from what I can see in in Washington, like people just like immediately, like, what can you do? And I think that was something I was just seeing everywhere. No one really got the kahea, right? But everybody is still just looking everything around the house, what money they can afford to give and and all of that. So like, I don't, well, I do have ancestors that are from Maui, but it's been a long time since anyone in my family has lived on Maui. But I have been watching um, Emma Koa, who runs Moonkind Things. It's a business in Kaneohe and like she immediately started asking for donations. So people just trying to send everything out there. It's just everyone wants to help, but doesn't know exactly how. And it's hard in diaspora because the you keep seeing the changes in the, the different types of um, resources that are needed. And the amount of time that it takes for us to send anything there takes days. And by then, it's a different resource that's necessary. So it's been... it's. It's been a little frustrating because personally, I want to be able to do whatever I can. I think I, I'm checking IG's Lahaina Ohana Venmo every day, just scrolling for former students or just like looking for um, ways to help and trying to figure out how to budget so that we can find ways to help. But and again, I'm not even sure if I'm answering the question, but I feel like everybody just wants to do something. They just don't know how to best do something to make sure that the resources are being targeted in the best way, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Yeah, that makes total sense. How about you, Equal? I, no, I also agree with that. I would also add to that because the one thing I think that we all understand as Konaka on Hawaii or on the continent is just that feeling of jumping in, right? Like, what can I do? How can I be of service? And I noticed that same thing, like within the first 72 hours, I everybody wanted to jump in and I work for an airline. So that was like times 10. I was really bombarded with like, what are what is your airline doing? What's anybody else doing? How can we get cargo and, and all that? which I really appreciate. But once we started to realize that there wasn't that kahea and that we all needed to like figure it out and be helpful, the message started to shift to like how they can give money donations, right? Because it's going to be the, the best impact you can have. But I noticed that everybody was quick to do that. But the feeling was like not the same, right? Because it's like, I yes, I'm going to do that, but I want to feel like I'm being more involved and physically supporting 
are luckily over there. And it brought up a lot of feelings for me too. And from others I've talked to here, it's like, this is part of the experience of being so far away is that I don't feel like I am helping. I don't, I feel more disconnected and my heart is really hurting. And what do I do? And there's so many pieces of pain around that. That's just, it's heavy, right? And for my family, because my family is all over the place and my mom is also still here on the continent. I reached out to her to see how she's feeling and what's, it's summed up in like my my heart is in a lot of pain and so it goes back to what you all were saying what Kalani was saying too is that even even though we're here and especially for those of us who weren't raised in Hawaii and some people who've actually never been to Hawaii because there are a few people Kanaka I know here who have never been to Hawaii they're experiencing the same thing because that's the connection between us all so that's the message I keep hearing was like, I just, I'm really sad that I don't feel like I'm connected and like, I can do more. So that makes my heart break too, because I, we had conversations about what it means and the kuleana we have from over here and it's not going to look the same, but that it still matters. That, that's my biggest thing is your pule matters, your good mana matters, like all of that is still really important. And in fact, after when things were going down, I posted a, a reel on the Instagram for Hawaiian diaspora where I'm starting my project and research to say, like, if you have ever struggled with calling yourself Hawaiian or Kanaka, which is very much a thing, then this is really the time that you have to dig inside deeper to understand that, like, it's you have to work on that, but it's also more than you. It's everybody else. And we all need each other like now more than ever. So part of what we can do also is like working on our identity issues so that we, in the end, can all come together and and do what we need to do, because that really holds us back. Yeah, I think that's a a great point about the identity issues. Kalani or Leah, Dan, have you ever experienced that in terms of like your identity, claiming your, it seems weird to say, claiming your Hawaiian-ness? Or having people that you know, like struggling about, am I Hawaiian enough? Those kinds of things. Do you guys have those experiences? Well, well, for me, of course, being here so long or away, you know, for three decades, I went through different phases. And it's because of what people were telling me, uh, whether they knew what a Hawaiian was, a native Hawaiian, Kanaka Maoli, it didn't matter. There was a time when I tried to educate people that didn't matter because supposedly they knew more than I did because they went to whatever island, you name it. And even though I tried to educate them, they still had an answer. I was like, I mean, it's to a point where I get so frustrated. Now, I think I'm at that age where I was like, I don't care. But I mean, even, gosh, I can't even tell you. Like, I remember... So at work, we have these professional networks. We have like women professional networks, anything for women, whatever they talk about. Uh, there's LGBTQ+, which now they call Unity. There's Latino, there's Asian. And there's one that I joined is for Indigenous Global. So it's all kinds of Indigenous people. But we kind of talked about this kind of issue, like what we had to go through with identity, and especially in the workplace. And of course, a lot of my experience is coming from the workplace and mind you i know a lot of people don't mean to be mean about it but sometimes the things that they say they just don't realize what they're saying and it kind of i get 
I just get frustrated trying to explain all these definitions or explain that my father is not Hawaiian. He was born in Hawaii, but he's Filipino. He never identified as Hawaiian. So there shouldn't be a question. Or sometimes they make the mistake of assuming that I come from the Philippines just because I say I have no problem saying I'm Filipino. But they never ask about either the Hawaiian side, the Kanakamali side, or even if I give them because of my genealogy background, usually the history of my, my ancestors migrating to Hawaii, the foreigners, and who they married, they still don't get it. So I was like, man, I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> that's my whole, that's why I said I went through like all kinds of phases with my identity. Either I was like passive and then I became very aggressive about it. Then I became kind of semi-passive, semi-aggressive. I don't know how to explain it. it. I know that that semi thing is just, I'm just tired of it. I can try and if they get it or not, who knows? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Paul, he says many folks speak to having some sort of identity crisis when being Kanaka in the diaspora. The keiki catch it the worst because living away from home assimilation process is devastating. Have you guys seen that too with the keiki? Yeah, I, w I was going to say that like, well, first of all, to all the Kanaka Maoli who are watching, you are enough. Just remember that, okay? You are enough. And I think it's natural for adolescents or Kiki to kind of, as you stumble along in deep learning your identity, it's natural for us to have these mixed feelings. But that's why I worry about the most. Like, I don't think I've ever questioned my identity as Kanaka Maoli, but I've seen a lot of my students who have left Hawaii, went off to college, had to go through a lot of the experiences that Kalani is talking about. And I think everyone, Kanaka Maoli and um, non-Kanakamali don't understand how triggering the explanation part is just because of the generational trauma of having been silenced and then having to then defend or feel like you're defending who you are. Like that is extremely frustrating, even on Oahu, even at home, having to explain the history. And I mean, you'll see just like people who base their TikTok content on this. It's really just explanation after explanation after explanation and and so just know everybody who's watching you you are enough and you don't need the explanation because seriously if if, if it takes like that is the trauma doesn't need to be explained and so i i'm hoping that this isn't something we perpetuate but to be able to kind of normalize saying Here's a book. Like I, I have a Amazon recommended reading list. It's like, let me recommend a few sources. If you don't want to read, that's you. Because you decided you didn't want to listen. But it is, it is not my job to tell you my history. Like, that's not, not what you should expect from me. I love that. Thank you for that reminder. Welcome. I need it sometimes too. Like sometimes I'm like, I cannot olalo enough, but I'm gonna try today. Yes. Yeah. First and found said comment on Kalani's portion. So true that everyone thinks they are in, an expert on Hawaii because they vacation there. Yes, it's so frustrating. Like I experience that at work all the time. Like they hear like, oh, you're from like 
oh my gosh, I was there for two months, for two years, and let me just tell you, and I'm like, bro, you're just like staying in your lane. And I like how they bring up food and in all these local things, so that makes them an expert. Like, not, not really. And then when you try to clean stuff, they still come back with an answer like they apparently were not yeah. right or that's not nothing that they'd experience themselves. I don't know. That's why I say it's, it's just frustrating. It is. Yeah, I will say it's. I think Kalani, you were saying that earlier. It's like it's almost feeling gaslit by other people around you who would tell you no, you're not because they know so little. But also I, I wanted to point out that we also hear that from other Kanaka too, which is horrible. And like, we really need to be better about that. I think things are changing, but from just like from what I have experienced, it has been a difficult thing, even when is it within our own communities to hear from other Kanaka, how much Hawaiian blood quantum, what do you know? What do you look like? And that is hugely disappointing. And um, of course, I d that doesn't come from us. That's not something that that's something that was given to us from other people. So it's it's a, it's a lot to have to take on from all kinds of people. But I think we're turning a corner from our own communities. But it is that's why the identity struggle can be so difficult, especially if you're raised, born and raised here on the continent, because you're hearing that from folks who think they know one thing from vacation. They look at you and they're like, no, I don't think you look Hawaiian to me. They ask you a lot of dumb questions that doesn't make sense. Like, is it your mom or your dad? And then you hear like from the community themselves, like if you didn't grow up in Hawaii, you are not Hawaiian, which is deeply upsetting and wrong. So it's, it's a lot to unpack. It is. So I'm glad that you went there because that's one of the questions I kind of wanted to unpack because we were at the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement Conference in Vegas. And one of the panels, which is the one that had like, oof, it punched me in the gut and I wanted to, I wanted to scrap, to be honest. But the, the topic was, should mainland Hawaiian be part of the Mahui? And I was like, of course they should. Like, why would they not be? But it was, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a, it's a hard topic, but it's something that we need to explore for ourselves. To your kwaipo, like the external thoughts that get suggestions about our identity and the colonization mentality and trying to cause division within our community. So I guess let me ask that question to each of you. Should mainland or continental, depending on which term we're going to use today, should mainland Hawaiians be part of the Lahui? And what are your thoughts on that? Anybody, whoever wants to jump in first. I think my question would be like, well, what exactly would that entail or what, how would we define that? And then how much, you know, because personally, I wouldn't care either way, but I would not want to be excluded from a lot of things because that's, that's my home. That's my, my ancestors are from, that's my own culture. So why wouldn't I be part? But when it comes to like decision-making, I mean, I don't know how to define Lahui, in the, at least in this sense, but I, I would like to be included or at least asked and then explain to me what they plan on doing or as far as we're going to include you or not. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Leah, Dan. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I think I saw your your Facebook post, Mona, and so I was like, that's a good question. And I had to vehe vehe lahui just to make sure that I looked at. And yes, vehe vehe is a verb now, but I had to, I had to lahui <laughs> because I was like, okay, before I can answer this question, you need to like really know what, how it's defined in, in that kind of sense. And I think like, just looking at the definition as being like a nation, race, tribe, people, nationality is there's no question to me, regarder, no matter where you are in the Honua, like you are part of the Lahui. Your responsibilities might be different though. And so I think in seeing, especially going back to seeing the response to Maui, I feel like the Kanaka Maui and diaspora, like our job is not to speak for the people of Maui. So that's not our responsibility. Like our responsibility is to answer the call, um, to help what's necessary. Our responsibility is to teach people here, you know, to teach ourselves, all that kind of thing, but to reconnect with the land. But, and, and even in diaspora, like as a person from Oahu, I wouldn't speak for Maui because, because that's, that they need to be able to represent themselves. We can't silence other Kanaka either. To answer the question, definitely yes. I wouldn't let anybody tell us that we are not part of this Lahui. I appreciate that distinction about the responsibilities being different. Because I think that there might have been one of the, the comments made during that panel is that, yes, we are part, part of it, but it looks different depending on where you are. What are your thoughts, Ipo? Well, yes, absolutely. A thousand percent. But I also think there's some ways we have to define diaspora. I, I say yes, and also it's more important now than ever because there are more Hawaiians living off of Hawaii than there are in Hawaii. So I would say actually it's very, it's an urgent matter. Yes, absolutely. But I say define diaspora because I think that's also kind of a buzzword that has come up in the last few years. I don't think any of us were considered or even thought of the word diaspora before a few years ago. But I also think there's some confusion, at least for me, about how we define diaspora, because in some communities and some cultures, diaspora can be considered born and raised away from your homeland. And then others can be like in this context, we, we seem to use a lot, those who live away from their homeland. So I think it kind of depends. But the way that I like to look at it is that diaspora is those who were most likely exclusively raised away from Hawaii. Because I, a friend actually brought this up to me a little while ago. I believe that diaspora is a result of displacement. And displacement are those who have to leave because they, they can't afford it or whatever the situation is, job sustainability. And, and then you raise a family over in the continent, most likely, who are now considered diaspora. And that's only going to keep happening more and more and more. And the more that people are displaced, it's going to perpetuate more diaspora. So then when we say, we pose a question, is diaspora part of the Lahui? Well, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's actually an urgent matter to make sure that we all believe and know and acknowledge and accept that we are part of the Lahui. Because if we don't, it's going to get further away from us. And then we, we're not even in control of our own aina anymore. Yeah, I think that's a very important distinction about defining the terms because, yeah, that was, you can use the term, but like really how did, how was that intended? 
And I think that's why I definitely had a strong reaction. I'm like, well, what, what are you talking about when you say Lahui? What are you talking about when you say mainland, right? Like, and then also, like you said, born and raised away or one who now lives away because I'm the second one, I'm the, I'm the live away one. And like even nuances with that too. Because like I know for me, I feel like I have my foot in two different worlds and like navigating that is like kind of back to the identity thing, like constant, constant, like, oh, I'm not quite like try to be Kanaka over here like, around a whole lot of non-Kanaka. But then when I go home, they look at me like a howlay because I've been away too long, right? Like, so it's all of those nuances that can trip people up. But I think as long as we remember, right, like that we are part of our community and that like even back before our ali'i, our leaders, like they were travelers in the, in the diaspora, however you want to define that now, that was just part of our, our journey. I mean, especially being wayfinders, right, with that perspective. All right. Well, I love those. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hawahi has school. I love it. Three things she directly speaks to in her PhD work is disconnection, displacement, and racism. She's like, you're speaking my language and love it, but it's also disturbing that we all can see these things. Yeah, I mean, how could we not, right? I mean, as Indigenous people, it's like impossible to not see these things. Especially when we're seeking that connection with our, our people and our community. Okay, so because so many of us are now living in the diaspora, and this is like an inevitable thing that is going to keep increasing, what are some things that you guys think we could be doing better, we being us right here in this room, or we as a, as a Lahoi? What could we be doing better to serve and connect the Kanaka who do have to leave the island? How can we like start to create, I guess, islands on bigger islands, islands on Turtle Island? I don't know. <laughs> because the, the challenge is that when we're on the continent, we're spread out so much. And I think one thing that also came out during the conference is that some people don't understand, like, it doesn't end at Vegas. Like, there are Hawaiians on the East Coast. There's Hawaiians in the Midwest. Like, we're all over the place. So, like, what are some things that we could do to better connect and be more intentional about creating community from where we are? I guess I'll go first. I guess just provide more opportunities. Maybe it's easier for me to say that because where I live, <clears throat> excuse me, because we have so many different communities here in Los Angeles. But I like in July, I went to our annual Ho'olalea. We have, we had that kind of opportunity to like connect with those Hawaiian civic clubs. Maybe make sure that everybody else, wherever they live, they have something like that or some kind of entity where they can at least seek out information on how they can get rid of this disconnect. And then nowadays, because everything, I mean, look, we're doing this from the comfort of our own home. Why can't we do this kind of stuff online too? Provide this kind of information or whatever would be helpful to other kind of community outside of Hawaii, you know, so that we can continue, especially in, in family homes where they can continue their own legacy, their culture. Mahalo. 
April? It was a good question. I think number one, get loud, which I don't think we have to say because I think we already are. <laughs> and then using that loudness and that voice to to create resources and and put the signal and the message out to wherever you are. And like Colony was saying, like we have technology. We're in the golden age of it now. Use it. Because I mean, if you're in bigger metropolitan cities, you can probably join a halal. You can um, go to like a halal or something like that. But if you're in the smaller communities, you don't have that access. It would be really nice to have to get online for like a Zoom, which I think I saw. I actually saw online on Instagram. I think this week there was a flyer going around that was like every Sunday they're going to open up a Zoom for Kanakas to get together for a safe space. And I love that. So more of that, create a safe space and make that a resource and then make sure you're allowed and promoting that to the ether so it can get to all Hawaiians. I love it. Kanaka meetup. Virtual, virtual, I don't know. I would say virtual garage because that's where all our meetups happen. <laughs> garage talk start. <laughs> Leah, then what do you think? I love those ideas too, because that's what I keep hearing, right? The, the people saw the Pacific Ocean as being something that separated us, but it was what actually unified us. And if the Pacific Ocean is what unifies us, there's no reason why the, the ocean of the internet can, that cannot now also unify us, especially, I, I think one of the reasons like some of us have learned to pivot beyond COVID is we've learned to find ways to connect and use the technology for our benefit, which is what we had to do. And this is kind of giving me that kind of COVID vibes that I had to when like teaching <laughs> during COVID, which is I still have this, but sorry for digressing. I think I was thinking of three things. So I think ways that we can stay connected is to one, learn, learn what you can, which is exactly what Kalania and Ipo are saying. Like this, that is our responsibility, learning our mo'oku ahau, learning olalohove'i, like finding ways to personally connect because just like anything else, you can't heal anyone else until you can first like heal yourself and take care of yourself. And then number two is asking first before speaking, because I see sometimes as Kanakamali, we make the same mistakes that settlers make. And we like, there are people who will, who will talk about like, like I'm working in the lo'i and, and will say things to me and not Hawaiian but non-Hawaiians will talk about how like the lo'i is just this kind of outdated way of thinking. And I'm like, let me tell you where they all are in Hawaii. <laughs> the, the running and working systems, they exist. And sometimes we don't realize the resources are, are there. Like Hawaiians are on the ground doing the work and not always talking about it. And so sometimes we need to first ask first, see who is doing what before we say that it is or is not happening or before we say it can or cannot happen, we need to ask first. And then when we find those, those answers, then we amplify those Kanaka voices because they know the answers. So we, instead of trying to speak for them, pushing what they're trying to do out there so that everybody knows, hey, this is the resource you go to. These are the people that we need to help and support. I think could be ways that we can Stay connected, but also do our best to create community, re regardless of where we are in the world. Because we're everywhere; we're all over. Yeah, I love those. Those are those are three great suggestions. Learn where, learn what you can, 
ask before speaking and then amplify the people who are doing the work. I think that's really, really important. I think, yeah, I do. I think we do fall into the trap of like, oh, we got to invent something new. Like, no, just cuckoo the people who's already doing it. Like, build that community, offer your help and support. Like, right here, right now, this is a great example. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Let me amplify some voices of people who live outside of the islands and let's keep this community and conversation going because it's important for us to have these safe spaces for us to amplify our own voices and really like learn about each other too and help each other on the journey of navigating these foreign foreign yeah so I think that's great and I, I love that you talked about the ocean as a unification instead of a separation because the separation part is a very colonial western way of looking at things it's not divisive this is the the power of our pacific islander peoples so i wanted to talk a minute about the pacific islander community even broader than native hawaiian is what does that look like where you are and kind of like how can you how can we leverage and build stronger relationships with those communities as well to better represent and amplify Pacific Islanders like even more broadly like Pacific Island nation not just the Native Hawaiians like how can we work together in that way to uh, whoever wants to check. I wouldn't know I wouldn't know where to where to start I mean my experience here it was only because I went to Fest, uh, Pacific Islander Festival. First, it was Hawaiian festivals. I was like, oh, what is this Pacific Islander? I'm going to go. And then that's when I got to see all these different groups and dances and cultures because, well, coming from Molokai, we didn't have that kind of, you only had one type Hawaiian or, or usually some Asian, but everybody was already, what do you call that, mixed. So, not until I came here, then I started like going to these places, uh, festivals, and experiencing different people's cultures. I mean, even in, uh, when I lived on Oahu for like four years, a little bit of Samoan people, and that's it. I have Tongan cousins, but not like they practice their culture. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. Like, how do we just go to these places? Or, I mean, again, bringing up technology is like, shouldn't we have or be able to see these kind of things online that where we could access and like try to learn as, as, a, as a whole Pacific Island not just like specific Samoan, Tongan, Micronesian. Yeah, no, I can relate to that too, because a lot of what I now know is my own self-research, self-study. And like you going to Polynesian festival here too, and I'm like, oh, what is that? And then it just made me kind of dig more into like, okay, what is the, what is the relationship between like, because I know we have lots of similarities. You can just, just look at us, right? Like you can see it. But like helping to understand more deeply like that history and, and stuff like that. So I think that's that's good. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting us to have all the answers. I just curious like what the the dynamics are of Pacific Islander cultures are where you are, at least to, to the extent that you're exposed. Because when I talked to Nealoha in Oregon, she was saying that there's also dynamics from other Pacific Islanders that and I, I think this is, again, an external introduced division tool 
of like, oh, how come they always focus on Native Hawaiian, right? Like, especially when they added the NHPI to it, right? Like, oh, how come they get special distinction now? Do you guys see any of that in the in the community? And, and what does that look like? And how can we make that? How can we kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Just push back against that narrative, I guess. Oh, sorry. I wanted to say, because <clears throat> I got involved with genetic genealogy, right? DNA testing. And then, so basically we get DNA tested. And for those of you who are not familiar, get your people test because they wanted to see what they are. And, but you also get DNA matches. So the closer, your top matches are usually people are closer related to you. And then what we've been finding is that we do have a lot of um, close matches with, especially New Zealand Maoris. And I had to read all about this kind of stuff and learn like why this was happening. But then, I mean, this is one way that we could like learn about each other because of, we do, I mean, when we started comparing, like some people would reach out to me from New Zealand, ah, this, I took a DNA test and it says that you're my second or third cousin. So that probably means like a third great grandparent or something like that. Do you know how we connected? And, and then so I saying with the family, so I was like, well, I can tell you one thing, we're not related recently, but probably from eight centuries ago. Yes. And we, then I've seen like, Maoris, uh, what they call it, Pakapapa, their genealogy. And they, sometimes you can see those similar names in our ancient, chiefly genealogy. I don't know, that's what I started learning from just genealogy, at least as far as connecting with other uh, Pacific Islander people, Polynesian people in general. So it's not so separate. And even these people are getting DNA tested. They're like, well, but we're still cousins. They're like, well, genetically, of course, we come from the same ancestors but from a long time ago i think that's kind of cool at, at least this i mean it's, it's still a learning thing for me i love that kalani i, I want to learn more about that that's super interesting and this is a topic that i i've i honestly have had to do a lot of self-discovery and growth in the last few years especially since i moved to seattle because san diego as i had mentioned any corner you turn you got all islanders between all Polynesia, Micronesia, and Melanesia. And I was really thankful and I'm so grateful for that. But then I moved around and here in Seattle, what I did notice and what I actually really appreciate about this is that we're harder to find like islanders in general in this area. So we're going to reach out for each other more than we are in a more um, condensed metropolitan city where you have a lot of diversity. And that's where things started to get, get a lot more interesting for here, because as I had mentioned, or you mentioned in my bio at Alaska Airlines, I have, like Kalani mentioned, my company has these groups and ours is a Pacific Islander Alliance and I'm co-chair of that. And it's Pacific Islander Alliance for a reason, right? It's because we have all kinds of employees that are, are between all the regions of, of Islander. And it's so interesting because we, there's like demographically or statistically, we have different numbers of folks, right? So you probably have like a lot of Samoans, you have maybe a lot of Hawaiians, maybe you don't have as many Fijians. So that representation is all, always not balanced, but it still doesn't mean that we shouldn't show up to learn and to advocate and to amplify for the voices of everybody. So it, it is definitely back to the theme of like quieting down a little bit, asking to learn, and I think this is also something within, I, I personally think like Polynesians as general, we get, we take up a lot of space or at least I think so. 
And I feel like I haven't seen a lot of space from Micronesians and Melanesians because because there's for a lot of different reasons. And now that we're talking a lot more about NHPI and we're getting that question of like, why is NH separated? What is PI? Man, that's the whole, it's a whole discussion that you could talk forever about. But I just start to realize, at least from the lens of people who don't, who barely even understand what Hawaiian is, they for real do not understand anything about like the, the whole scope of Islanders. So it is also a responsibility for us to leverage and amplify as much as we can and what we understand and what we know about our brothers and sisters from across across the island. So here what that looks like is um, a lot of events, actually. Seattle is really active in doing um, a lot of programs and events and nonprofits and organizations for all Islanders. A couple of places that are really well known here is Pico, Washington, Utopia, Washington. They do great work for the whole scope of Islanders. There was just a that was put on by Utopia, Washington, and they have a whole group of folks who are uh, a range of diverse Islander heritages. And they come together and they learn dances from all across the islands. And you can buy a ticket and the money goes back into the nonprofit. And it's such a great opportunity to just like get together and learn and, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I think that goes back to like using technology as a resource, reaching out and then getting together with the Islanders, you know, to to ask them, can I learn more? What can I do for you? Um, but it's 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 a nuanced, complex topic. Thank. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go <laughs> I don't I mean, like when I first heard the question, I was much like, I don't know the answer to it. But going kind of tying back to some of the things like Kalani and, and Ipo were saying, and that I've noticed coming from Korea and moving to Washington, like the smaller the group is, so the the more we will stay find a way to be connected. Like in Korea, there was a Polynesian Islander groups because there's so few of us that we are going to identify as Polynesian Island. <laughs> and, and that's it, right? In in Washington, you will see a, a number of different groups. And I remember um, reading a statistic in, I think it was 2020, that as far as uh, p- people in the military community, I think Polynesian Islander identified as maybe 2% was something that was really small. And so in that case, of course, you're going to to find each other. But in going back to a previous conversation, I think this is something that Kanakamali in diaspora can do more so than than people back home in Hawaii because Hawaii still has a kind of divisive plantation mindset where the Polynesian groups are separate and there's different stereotypes and understandings of what that means. But that doesn't exist out here. And so finding ways to reconnect or to connect and amplify those voices, like you guys were saying, is, is probably one of those ways that we can change the mindset, normalize different viewpoints so that it can become something that when we talk about back home and we could be like, no, I know these, I know these kind of groups. These are my friends. These are the kind of things that they're doing. And then push back and do that same kind of thing. We can cuckle their voices too. And so I think, yeah, that might be something that we can do, but also like learning the history. Like I didn't realize until I moved to Washington that that even before, like the Kingdom of Hawaii had agreements with the Nisqually people here and like Hudson Bay Company and they're, they're trading here. 
And so just learning about the, the land that you're on, I think too, and the history of that helps us to better communicate and connect with all of the indigenous people. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember where I found it, but yeah, seeing that there was Kanakamoli in the north of the Northwest, and I think people didn't know it because they felt it differently, right? Like the way they heard the pronunciation was different. It was like O-I-E. And it's just, it's so, so, so fascinating. Like history, I'm like, where was this when I was in school? Because whatever history was teaching me, I had no interest. But if you start talking about our people and things that we can relate to it just it just yeah. is a totally different lens um yeah. Aww. sorry and it's okay huh? yeah. she wants to learn too <laughs> yeah so i i yeah that's so beautiful in amplifying the voices and helping each other because that's definitely something i me being on the East Coast, which is like the farthest part you can be and still be on the continent. Um, we don't have, like, it's not a lot here. There's, there's enough, like enough of us. But it's so true that the lower amount that you have, the closer you become, because that is like your safety net, right? Like your, your community, your comfort zone. And it's a lot more um, gratitude, I think. I, I don't think I appreciated everything until I left and then they, I mean it's human right like when it's gone and then you're like oh like look at how beautiful that was but like and when it's missing then you seek that out again so um, I, I think that's kind of a one perspective I think I have is that I had to leave to appreciate things back home I mean because I remember when so when I found my mom's biological family and we met up with her sister she was telling her sister about like how she didn't get to raise me and i guess she she sounded like she regretted and i was like but you know what mom if you didn't do that i mean if you did raise me who knows you probably wouldn't have found your sister maybe i wouldn't have cared about my own genealogy because i would just know that you and my mom that's my kind of connection and that's it i would have been satisfied i probably wouldn't have sought it out sought out her genealogy I said, so just never know. But I think it's that. It's just you have to be away from it to appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And I like what you said about the divisive plantation mindset at home and like how we could help to unite that. Because, yeah, I've had those thoughts too. Like, do they not understand like what they have right in front of them? Like, it's like if I could have just a little bit of that, it would be so awesome. But again, it's that's one of those things, right? Where when you have so much and it's in abundance, then <laughs> you take for granted, yeah. So that's awesome. Okay. Well, we're getting, yeah, we 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 have our so we'll, maybe we'll close out with um maybe let's talk to Kiki. So if we have Kiki, whether it's your family or other Kiki on the continent living outside of Hawaii, what would be your like advice to them to encourage them to embrace their culture, like tips that they could, what they could do to learn more and just like help them. Cause I, I know like even as an adult, like I, we all struggle with that identity and like 
understanding why it's important to be Hawaiian and to not be shame of that, right? Like, what can we, what can we, what knowledge can we pass to our hiki? Whether it's the little one or even the, our younger kanaka who are like transitioning from, I would say into adulthood, right? Like leaving, going into college where they now are leaving like kind of the safety net of their home and are going to be experiencing the world like straight on, maybe for the first time. Hello. <laughs> I think, okay, that's a big question. I think trying to find ways for, well, going back to what I said before, knowing that you're enough, doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, what percentage you have, like, I'm not letting anyone tell you, because like, for example, I understand that colorism exists in Hawaii, but I've never had a Kanaka talk to me about colorism. It's usually something that's coming from the outside. And so even in that, like I know a lot of very fair-toned, my daughter included Kanaka Maoli, who will feel questioned at some point and know that none of that stuff matters. You are enough. You are Kanaka Maoli. But doing a lot of the work that Kalani did, I think he's a great example of what we can be doing to make ourselves feel stronger, What's what we can teach our kids and help our kids with so that they can feel more connected because if you don't know your moku how it's really it becomes really difficult for yourself not to answer other people's questions but it becomes difficult for yourself to not be able to follow that genealogy too but i think finding ways to keep yourself grounded i noticed that like statistically a lot of kanakamaoli students would leave hawaii and going off to college and it was very difficult to be in like a place in the middle of a cornfield. I mean, like you need to find a way to keep grounded. The things we were talking about before this, this video started being in a place where it's always gray, like finding ways to still recreate Hawaii for yourself, regardless of where you are so that you don't lose yourself, but also so that you don't feel so disconnected because it's very isolating to be in diaspora. I think that makes a difference. And then finding your people wherever they are. Don't feel the need to justify your trauma and your experiences. I'm, I don't have any kids, but I think about my nieces and then they all have kids of their own. And I thank you, Nirdan, for reminding me about the Homo'oku'a home because they have saw, they've, they've asked me information about their genealogy and especially since my, my brother and I, their dad, we have different fathers. And so they have a different Hawaiian side as well on their, on their dad, on their grandfather's side. But I knew because I knew their grandfather's family on Molokai, so I was familiar with the family. So, I mean, I'm glad that they sought out someone to get information. I know I mentioned like technology, they can use technology and just seek out whatever they can, just TikTok or whatever else, social media, but also go to your own, ask your own parent. They're, they're like stuff that they probably don't know that they might think it's not important that you, until you ask that kind of question. Like my niece, when they're like, 
Well, uncle already asked about the family. I was like, are oh, you talking about your, your dad's side of the family? Not my, my mom's side of the family. But I just knew it. So, I mean, you just never know until you ask your own, start with your own family as well. I mean, they, they kind of say that about genealogy. Start with what you know, and then you work your way backwards. That was my experience with genealogy where I had to, I had no choice but to learn, of course, the language, the history. I learned about the Hawaiian kingdom because I really didn't learn that in high school. I remember reading, these are the Ali, kings and queens, and then annexation. Nobody questioned what that was. We didn't care in high school. And then there's like state of Hawaii. That was it. But that's what genealogy led me to. Like, I guess a firm foundation as far as identity goes. And I'm kind of proud of it. I mean, especially doing the DNA, I had to like find out that. I explained to my mom, I said, you're like 70% European. She's like, what at? I said, mom, you howling. What? <laughs> like, sorry, you howling. But then I explained. This is who your Haole ancestors were. This is what they did during the kingdom times. Two of them became citizens of the Hawaiian kingdom. I had to explain that from what I know, you have to live in the kingdom at least two years before you become a citizen. One of them renounces um, ties to England. The other one, the American whaler, I, I'm not sure, but he still became a citizen of the Hawaiian kingdom. That kind of info, I mean, that kind of stuff, I think is my best advice, not just Whatever you can online or whatever you can seek out from other people, go to your own relatives because they might have information that might be valuable that you don't realize. Mahalo. We're definitely going to have you come back for the more. How, how? I'm like, come on, Kalani, tell me where. What about you, Ipo? Yeah, this is, this is a really good question that I'm going to be thinking about for a while because I'm. I'm actually Hapai with my first right now. And it makes me emotional. It makes me really emotional. And everything that Leah Dan says, I totally agree with because I think about what do I want my Kiki to know? And everything she was saying, like, totally hit me right in the heart and, or not all I should say. And I just 100% agree with that. I would also say, I think it's the Kuleana too. Because as a part of my identity issue and, and running to the waters is understanding that like, I, I do have Kuliana, we all do. And that really broke open everything for me. And I would say to him and, and to all the Kiki, like to be proud because you have that Kuliana, you do have a responsibility. Maybe it does look different where you are, but be, be proud and be curious because you do have something to give and that's something we're all doing and, and all of it is going to benefit each other. Mahalo and who oh my kai on your your new your new pepe coming in oh so exciting we are excited. it's gonna be awesome to have another more mana in this world living on the continent helping us to <laughs> discover new journeys let's see Anella says for the babies the world is so big you may feel different where you are right now home is here for you where you will always be held. My Puina, you are the fruit of your Tupuna's work and sacrifices. Yes. I think that's that what gives is what gives me peace whenever I feel disconnected. And it's just kind of remembering that like my Kupuna is with me because they're built into my DNA. And if you listen, if you make yourself still and listen, like they're talking to you all the time. 
no matter where you are. So just create space to, to let those voices speak into your life when you need it. Okay, I tried to, not to get emotional because people got emotional and I was like, oh my God, stop. I'm going to get emotional too. <laughs> but I just wanted to thank you guys so much for being a part of this panel. I know um, sometimes it's, it can be a little bit nerve wracking being transparent about your experiences. But I, I appreciate you guys coming on and like helping us to launch this conversation because I, as we were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many topics that we could springboard off of from this. And I know there was a lot of people in our Hawaiian history and culture group who were like, just, I got so many responses about this topic. So as I mentioned, maybe we can turn this into a series and kind of make it a pu'uhonua for us to come and continue these conversations and pa'ahi can what Pa'ahi is restored, she can come and, and be the, the moderator to, to give her mana'o too, because she's, I know she's very passionate about this particular area. Um, well, can I say one thing, Juan? Yeah. So from, from your thread, I met somebody there who lives nearby me, another Kanaka Wahine, and then we met up like a bunch of times since then, and now she's going to be my Kanaka Jula. So oh, like... <laughs> What an experience. Like, just thank you so much for putting that out there. Because, like, it, it also fosters other connections and relationships and curiosity, too. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was loving to see, like, in the comments, like, oh, yeah, I'm here, too. Where are you staying? I was like, yes, this is our <laughs> connecting there, wherever, wherever we stay. Where... Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many takeaways from this. But I, I think, like, the main messages that I definitely heard is that no matter where we are, whether it's in Hawaii or not, you are enough. Your percentage is not something that you should focus on. If you get koko, you're Hawaiian. And to be proud of that and be loud about it. Like, share your aloha. I, I know for me, there's a time when I was like, oh, make yourself small. Yeah, and I'm like. I guess it's, it's, it's part of life, right? And evolution. And now I'm just like, no, you're going to hear me. You're going to hear about my people until I get tired. You know, nothing, every time you look at me, you're going to see the history. Like, you're going to remember it. I don't care if you, you're going to learn something about Hawaii. And I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about your vacation. And so that's why I wear my flower because everybody's like, oh, yeah. And they think about Hawaii and, and, and the stuff that I've been teaching them. But it's been a lot of positive. So I would also say, be loud, but because it, it is needed. And I think, at least for me, there was times when I was like, oh, they don't want to learn about this. But like, no, people do. There are people who want to learn. They want to understand. And it's our kuleana to teach them in whatever way it makes sense. Yeah. So with that said, let me let you guys go around real quick. And where if people want to connect with you on social media or whatever, where, where can people find you guys to talk story and create community? wherever you are we go Kalani. i guess facebook but there's a so there's a native hawaiian genealogical society group on facebook okay. and i'm one of the admins so they can always reach out usually people will connect with me over there in fact yesterday a lady said oh by the way i sent you a message on ancestry because she took a dna test i was like okay i gotta take part <laughs> yeah if you get dna tested you can always look up my last name more than likely we'll connect Everybody's related to everybody. That's true. I gotta go look for this group now. There it is. I'll leave that. 
Uh, if you want to give some Kanaka jobs after all the people who need jobs, I would say LinkedIn. <laughs> um, let's see. I keep a lot of my, like my social media is separated based on the groups in my life. So I would say you can find me on TikTok, though I'm not on that often anymore. I used to go on a lot in Korea and it was fascinating because I've never met so many Kanaka Maori in diaspora until I went on TikTok. Um, and even just on the other islands, not even just in diaspora, but I've never seen the lives of other Kanaka Maoli who are on other islands until I went on TikTok. I've had, had my students would talk to me about it, but I didn't get to actually see what their lives were like. And so I am on TikTok as Kanaka in Medias Rest because I used to study Latin and so I'm a dork. Otherwise, I'm, I'm also on Facebook, Lidan Yi. You can find me there too. I'm in the Kanaka or Hawaiians in Washington Facebook group, which is how I found Moana. And I'm sure April's on there too. <laughs> on there too. But yeah, it's huge group. <laughs> Love it. I would say that Instagram at Hawaiian Diaspora is the best place right now. And I will be putting together a website and stuff soon because I'm actually going to be launching my research project, which is some surveys if you want to be anonymous or if you don't mind doing an interview. I'm trying to collect as much information stories with consent from Kanaka as I can so that we can use that information to validate here are how Kanaka diasporas are feeling. Um, and then hopefully use that to eventually get some funding to build a cultural program for Kanakas who who feel like they're not in touch with the culture and understand very much. My goal is to be able to to get um, funding so we can bring them to Hawaii for a week, especially the ones who've never been there. I like to call it explorations, uh, Kamehameha explorations for adults. So that is <laughs> that's my ultimate goal. So it all starts with like building community and then um, hearing the voices of all your stories. So if you can follow us at Hawaiian Diaspora on Instagram and then be open to um, sharing your story. That would be super helpful. Mahalo. I love that project. Definitely going to be following that. I should probably connect you with Sherry at Papa Ola Lokahi because I think this might be something she would be interested in learning more about too because she's sponsoring a couple organizations on the continent and just trying to be mindful like of the of the ones in the diaspora and how we can, can malama them too. So mahalo, mahalo. Alrighty. Well, thank you guys so much, both of all of you here for being a panelist and being a Leo here in this space. And to our people who are listening, our audience, please like, share, subscribe, follow us every Thursday evening on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. Facebook was acting up again tonight. I don't know why they have something against my panels, <laughs> but it's not, it's not on YouTube. And then shortly after, it's also going to be on our podcast platforms. So if you were here tonight or if you're on the replay, mahalo. And if you want to listen again, because there's lots of nuggets in here, we will be, all the recordings are on our YouTube and on our platforms. Alrighty. Take care, everybody. Malama pono. <laughs>